0: Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Myers Detox podcast. Uh, we have a great show for you today. Dr. Jack Wolfson is going to be talking about how to reach a 100-year heart. And I know this is something that is really important for everyone listening to hear because so many people are touched by heart disease or have a family member with heart disease or have passed from heart disease. And heart disease is the number one killer of men and women worldwide. And so this is something to pay attention to, because the things you can do to improve your heart health also reduce your risk of cancer and hypertension and diabetes and the other main killers uh, in people worldwide. Um, So Dr. Wolfson is going to be talking about some surprising things, how mold causes heart disease. Uh, We talk about the problems with uh, cholesterol-lowering medications, statins, um, and what they actually do to your health, how they destroy uh, your brain, lead to dementia, Parkinson's, uh, muscle atrophy, uh, numerous other nutrient deficiencies, and how so harmful it is and why he never recommends them. And also doesn't recommend the, the natural alternative many people take, which is red yeast rice, because it works in the same way. Uh, lots of really, really good insights and also Dr. Wolfson's opinion on what kind of diet you should eat for heart health, um, why you may not need to worry about limiting your steak. Um, and we also talk about you know why veganism is, is not good for your heart in the long term. And we talk about the kind of testing you want to do to actually indicate, uh, actually measure and give an indication uh, if you have a healthy heart and why the total cholesterol is a joke, but no recommendations or medications should be taken based on just a total cholesterol number. Lots of really, really good insights on the show today. I'd love Dr. Jack Wilson. Um, and I know you guys listening to this show are concerned about your heavy metal load, your body burden of toxins. So I created a quiz called uh, heavymetalsquiz.com. It just takes a couple minutes to take it and it will give you a based on your answer for these lifestyle questions, your relative body burden of toxins and what to do about it. You get a free video series after you take the quiz at heavymetalsquiz.com. Our guest today, Dr. Jack Wolfson. Um, He is a board certified cardiologist who uses nutrition, lifestyle, and supplements to prevent and treat heart disease. And he completed a four year medical degree, three year internal medicine residency, and a three year cardiology fellowship. He served as the chief fellow of his cardiology program, managing all the other cardiology trainees and uh, Dr Wolfson also then joined the largest cardiology group in the state of Arizona and spent 10 years as a hospital-based cardiologist performing angiograms pacemakers and other cardiac procedures and he is the chairman of medicine director of cardiology and he's the he was a director of cardiac rehabilitation. Um, he was selected by his peers as one of the top doctors in Arizona in 2011. And in 2012, Dr. Wolfson founded Natural Heart Doctor to offer patients the ultimate and holistic healthcare. And people worldwide consult with Dr. Wolfson traveling to Arizona for or virtually for natural heart care. And Dr. Wolfson has appeared on every major news station, a major newspaper, along with hundreds of appearances at live events, podcasts and online interviews, and he's also taught medical doctors and practitioners from all over the world. Uh, Dr. Wolfson is also recognized as one of the top 50 holistic medical practitioners, and he's also known as the paleocardiologist, and um, his book, The Paleocardiologist, The Natural Way to Heart Health, is the first book by Dr. Wolfson and is an Amazon bestseller, and uh, you can learn more about Dr. Wolfson and his work uh, at naturalheartdoctor.com. Dr. Wolfson, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast.
1: Uh, Wendy, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. And again, I appreciate so much you know, in the work that you're doing to open up so many people's eyes to the truth in health and wellness. And again, just uh, you know the hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people that you're touching with your information. So thank you again for having me on.
0: Yes, thank you for that. And I also really admire your work as well, because your advice and your work is totally counter-counter. To what the American Medical Association and so many conventional medical doctors are recommending to their patients for their heart health, and so this is a you know for me especially important because I you know I believe my father uh, he was on the statins for ten years and then he developed diabetes and then cancer and and he got to the point that the statins caused that muscle wasting where he couldn't even go to the bathroom on his own so he had to go to a nursing home and I really credit his demise with statin medications and uh, and all the the, the inherent problems uh, in them. And so can you tell us a little bit about um, what are, let's talk about statins first. What are the problems with statins and what do you recommend instead?
1: Well, there are so many problems with the statins that, right, we can just talk for hours and hours about this. And let me preface this to say, well, why doesn't your doctor, why doesn't the conventional doctor talk about the problems of statins? Because that's really the only bullet they have in their gun. It's the only tool they have in their toolbox. It's all that they've been trained. And that's how exactly I was trained as a conventional cardiologist, from day one, it's all about the use of statin drugs and aspirin and blood pressure pharmaceuticals. So when that's all that the traditional cardiologist knows, no matter how brilliant they are, when it's all that they've been taught and trained, then that's what they're going to prescribe. And now when you're a holistic practitioner now or a holistic cardiologist after 10 years in the hospitals, like I was as a hospital-based cardiologist and starting now, you know, again, 10 years ago as a Natural cardiologists, and now you step out, uh, up, you know, of that. Um, there are other people who are like me who are doing this, but again, the vast majority of cardiologists are statin pushers. It's all that they know, uh, and then of course they, uh, you know, demonize the people like us who are talking about natural health, natural wellness, natural cures, and so that, I think that's kind of the construct of what we're. Up against. Now, the other problem I would have with statins fundamentally is it's a false sense of security. People believe that they can eat whatever they want, live however they want, do whatever they want, and the statin will save them. And of course, that is, you know, can be nothing further from the truth because as you mentioned, the side effects or other effects of statin drugs, and we can talk about those uh the, the actual benefits in the medical literature are very small and in some cases and in as, as some studies actually show that more people die when they take statins versus placebo in some of these trials, two that come, uh, you know, to uh, three actually that come to mind, uh, you know, right now. One is the All Hat LLC trial that was JAMA uh, Internal Medicine 2017. Another was in 2006 called the Sparkle trial that showed people with high dose atorvastatin Lipitor, the number one selling drug of all time by revenue, number one all time is Lipitor, and how that actually increased mortality. And then, of course, the um, uh, the original statin trial, which is AFCAPS caps caps which was done in the 1980s for primary prevention. and More people died in the statin group uh, there. So, I mean, again, uh, we're trying to open up people's eyes and understand, again, that yes, statin drugs lower numbers down, but they have very little benefit over and above that. And then, of course, the side effects that you mentioned. And I, too, believe that my father, who died at 63 of a rare Parkinson's-like illness, one of the contributing factors was the fact that he was also on statin drugs. One of the other factors, so again, I believe that there are many, but one of those contributing was, and again, we can break that down biochemically and show exactly how that happens. But um, yeah, there's definitely a better way than, than statin drugs.
0: Yeah. I mean, when, considering your brain is made of 20, 25% cholesterol, turning off the mechanism to produce cholesterol is sounds like a big problem. And my father also is a brilliant, brilliant man. And he was a vegetable after 10 years or more being on statins. Uh, it, it just uh, was really sad to watch. And I didn't consider any, any form of dementia at that time, but he, he was a shadow of his, his former self and his intellect
1: and of course the medical doctors right the doctors who you and your family took your father to like they were absolutely clueless to anything to do certainly i'll speak to my case with my father who we took him to the Mayo Clinic right widely considered best hospital in the world Mayo Clinic has no clue what to do and they have no clue as to what caused this in my in my father and my story of course starts at that time in 2005 when I would meet the woman who would open my eyes to health and wellness and pull me out of the medical matrix, if you will. And she is a doctor of chiropractic, DC or DC doctor of cause. And she said quite simply, you know, again, these are all the reasons why your father is sick. So Mayo Clinic has no reason. And the 29-year-old chiropractor, she's got all the reasons, but it really just highlights the fact that again, the, the statin drugs and how they, yes, interfere with the production of cholesterol, as you mentioned. And cholesterol is important, obviously, for every single cell in the body. The cell membrane is made up of cholesterol. The brain itself, of course, is highly fatty, highly made up of cholesterol. All of our hormones essentially have some tie-in with cholesterol, directly or indirectly. The digestive process, the bile acids, bile salts, all cholesterol. Vitamin D, Everybody knows how important vitamin D is. You know, you're down there, you know, in the sunshine where where you live and appreciating that sunshine and the creation of vitamin D, that all happens because the sun hits the skin, hits the cholesterol coursing through the skin and the blood vessels and turns it into vitamin D. So, so many other things. Now, again, when you take a statin drug, not only does it inhibit cholesterol, well, it also is well known to inhibit the production of CoQ10, which you need for mitochondrial function. It inhibits something called heme a which is an iron based protein inside of the mitochondria in the electron transport chain in cytochrome c oxidase the fourth part of that so again if you don't have adequate heme a because you're blocking it with statin you will have poor energy production in your heart and you know, hence uh, you know low atp and all the other downstream effects of that statins inhibit the production of something called dolacol which is another fatty cholesterol-like molecule. And, Wendy, the number one place where that sits in the brain, is in the body, is in the brain, in the substantia nigra. And that is where Parkinson's and Parkinson's-like illnesses, the destruction of those neurons is in particularly uh, uh, heavy or dense, is in that area. So now, again, you take a statin drug, it decreases dolacol levels, and dolacol is no longer available in the part of the brain that leads to Parkinson's, and um, it's sad because obviously millions of people suffer. And uh, hey, that's that's the purpose of you and I talking, as to you know, bring awareness to all these different issues.
0: And many people that want to avoid statins or cholesterol lowering medications uh, opt for natural means and supplements. Uh, What are your thoughts on red yeast rice, which so many people are substituting, thinking it's a a healthy, natural substitution for this medication?
1: Well, I think you and I, you know, certainly, and many others like us kind of practice the same way. Um, and, and again, like I, I never prescribe statins ever. So if you're listening to this and you, uh, again, are, are wondering if there's a time and a place, not in my mind, is there ever a time and a place. And I'm not a big fan of red yeast rice either, because again, it is so similar to statins, although not as strong, but the original statin, lovastatin, came from red yeast rice, the mycotoxin in red yeast rice called citronin. So I'm not a fan of red yeast rice utilization either. What I'm a fan of and what you're a fan of as well from all the things I've listened you know, to you teach about is about when you eat the right foods and you live the right lifestyle, meaning you're getting the sleep and the sunshine and the physical activity, and you're avoiding all these environmental toxins and pollutants to the best of your ability, and you're thinking the right thoughts, and you're taking evidence based supplements to support the detoxification of many of these environmental poisons, then you're going to have the perfect lipid level or cholesterol level for you. That's what matters. And it's not a matter of, hey, you know, I want to get my cholesterol as low as possible. I want to know what my God given cholesterol is. If I was walking around this earth, 5,000 years ago, 50,000 years ago, whatever it may be, and whatever you believe in, maybe we can call this the the cave, the cave, I used to say caveman uh, uh, cholesterol, but now I've gotten a little more politically correct. So I'll say the cave person cholesterol, whatever the perfect level is for each individual person. And again, if we, if we eat well and live well and think well, we'll dial in the perfect number from us. There are some supplements that I use to, uh, to, to, kind of further improve on that. And most of the supplements that I use have to do with actually increasing the amount of LDL receptors or the catcher's mitts on the liver to remove old LDL particles out of circulation. Now there are supplements that directly do that. And there's pharmaceuticals that of course exist now that also directly do that, uh, what are called PCSK9 inhibitors. But if we can have a person have a healthy liver, right? If we can detox the liver will that allow the liver now to do its job and make those ldl receptors to pull the poisons out of circulation and i think that's ultimately you know what our strategy is and it works
0: and can you talk a little bit about um you know women's heart health um because a lot of this, the studies have been done on men and can you talk a little bit about women's health and maybe what their you know, lab numbers should look like. And I know, I know it's, it's kind of ridiculous to think about, you know, getting a, trying to get into a certain lab range with different medications or things like that. But that's what people are doing when they go to their doctor, they're looking at the lab range to see how they compare. Can you talk a little about that?
1: Yeah, I think that you know again there there has been a lot of you know publicity surrounding about how women are different and yes women are different I'm not here to say women are the same as as men on a multitude of levels but you know again uh I think it starts also sometimes from uh, in a lot of this uh um the the publicity of this to try and get more awareness of women and heart disease really stems from the fact that a lot of times women are not listened to. Um, The woman, you know, the man comes in to the emergency room and he's kind of clutching his chest. Everybody knows what's going on. But sometimes the woman comes in and she says, I just don't feel well or something you know again something is off maybe she'll describe again being a little bit short of breath maybe she'll be a little bit more tired you know again it just tends to be a little bit different symptomatology between the complaints of men and women as it relates to cardiovascular disease but ultimately listen the same vi- the same issues with the eat well live well think well paradigm affects men and it affects women and again, to, you know, to women and, and their issues and, and men and their issues, I think we should stop focusing on cholesterol numbers and really start to focus on the markers of inflammation. And if you're inflamed, you've got high HSCRP, you've got high myeloperoxidase, inflammation and oxidative stress. If you're demonstrating those things by lab tests that everyone should have, well, now we know you're at risk. And the answer of course is not to give people anti-inflammatories or uh, give people uh, uh, antioxidants for their oxidative stress. it's about find out what's causing inflammation, what's causing oxidative stress and help to and help to reverse that and a lot of times really trying to support the body's inherent Antioxidant capabilities, as opposed to swallowing a lot of external, you know, supplements and and vitamins. In that scenario, there's definitely a place for 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 those products. But again, trying to upgrade the body's own systems on doing that is very important. But you know, again, listen, women, uh, you know, cardiovascular disease, number one killer worldwide, uh, above cancer, above stroke. It affects just as many women on a percentage basis as it does men. And uh, yeah, we need to continue to uh, you know guide men and women on on you know how we can improve there's other factors too right i mean other lab you know values that i love checking so do you right homocysteine intracellular vitamins and minerals vitamins D status, omega-3 status. Uh, you know, we check the toxin panels on people and we're looking for metals and mold mycotoxins and environmental toxins. And that's again the beauty of what we do compared to conventional medicine is that they check nothing and we check everything. <laughs> they check, they check the 1970s lab testing uh, you know, values. Oh, what's your total cholesterol? I mean, again, that means Nothing. The Mr. Fit trial in the 1970s told us that total cholesterol between 160 and 260, that's the sweet spot between 160 and 260. Above 260, you have a higher risk of dying. Below 160, you have a higher risk of dying. So again, it's its not a good number. It's not something I even care about whatsoever. It's really all about, again, some of the advanced lipid markers, markers of inflammation, and the other things that we discussed
0: Yeah, it really is kind of laughable that doctors are looking at the total cholesterol and and based on that number, recommending a statin across the board. Like my mother, she's 76, perfect health on no medications. The pressure is intense to get her on statin medications. Her cholesterol is at 260, uh, but she's perfectly healthy. Uh, Otherwise, her total cholesterol is 260. And it's just um, sad. And and most people cave because they just... They want to do the right thing. They have some fear um, instilled in them, and um, and then they they get on these medications they
1: don't need. The medical doctors are, I mean, they're salespeople, right? I mean, they're sa- they're sales people, and they they are selling uh, the uh, they're, they're they're selling their knowledge, they're selling uh, you know the confidence, they're selling the pharmaceuticals. They're selling the test, they're selling their entire paradigm. And unfortunately, again, for the, you know, your mother's, you know, physicians, that's all that they know. But then again, I would challenge them to look at the all-hat LLC trial from 2017. Again, in the journal, the American Medical Association, that showed that men and women who are older than 65 who take a statin drug versus placebo in that trial, they had an 18% higher risk of dying. So again, it lowers the numbers down, that's for sure. But do we really care about low numbers or do we care about, will this save my life? And actually in that study, 18% higher risk of dying. And in your mother's case, the group that was looked at that was 75 and older, the risk of dying was 34% higher in the statin group, which You and I would say, wait a second, if a doctor knowing that data and the doctor is recommending a drug, isn't that malpractice? If they recommend that drug, like how is this even a possibility? But again, it's a possibility and it's a reality. And so many people suffer. I mean, listen, as far as checking total cholesterol levels, there's many cardiologists, and I used to be one of them, who thought that statin drugs belong in the drinking water. So why would I even care what (laughs) your total cholesterol is? I don't care if your total cholesterol is 160, 260, 360. It doesn't matter if it's in the drinking water. We're all getting it. And even more, sadly enough, Wendy, right, is the fact that, uh, you know, reports continue to come out over time that the average cholesterol levels amongst people in the United States are dropping. Well, why is that? A, they're on statin drugs. Tens of millions of people take statin drugs uh, every day. And then the rest of the people are exposed through the water system because as people swallow a capsule, urinate out the metabolites down the toilet, it gets into the water table. And now it's kind of like everybody uh, has, has some degree of exposure. I would guarantee every single one of us, again, if you're able to you know, you know to test for actual, say, atorvastatin in someone's blood, you will see that there are microcontaminants uh, likely in all of us, which is obviously horribly sad.
0: Yeah, it's. I talk about that a lot on the show about how the water is contaminated with so many medications, uh, hormones, and birth control pills and statins. You know, I never, I hadn't really thought about that one, but yeah, it has to be there. Um, so let's talk about some uh, some little known underlying root causes of heart disease. And so I came on your podcast talk about heavy metals uh, that can promote that. Um, like cadmium. Um, but let's talk about mold. We talked before the show about mold, and I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't heard that before.
1: Well, you know, again, um you know, I guess my interest in mold kind of started in a couple ways. Number one, my wife was not feeling well. Uh, about four or five years ago, the home we were living in, we found out we had mold and we immediately evacuated. And uh, over the years, we had talked to people about mold, but we had never really certainly experienced it ourselves. Uh, Over the last five years, There are laboratory tests that are able to look for urine mycotoxins and able to prove that they're coming into people and then we're excreting them and certainly storing them as well. They're coming into our body and and whatnot and some degree of excretion in the urine from that. Uh, And then along with that, again, there's better testing that's available for environmental molds. And then, of course, there's there's better products to allow for mold mycotoxin detoxification. Now, the number one thing you need to do is to... Uh, either leave the environment, or remediate the environment, or a combination, you know, thereof. So it's a very complex issue. But I think when we think about people's health, you know, issues overall, and I know Wendy, obviously, you've consulted on so many thousands of people, and so have I. And we look back on those people, like, why, why did most of them got better? Most of them, at least, you know, certainly got better, if not a hundred percent improvement. But a lot of them, again. They still, we, we still didn't totally fix them to where they wanted to be. There were still some issues. And then I think, you know, again, the mold story of how water damage in a home or in an office or in a car leads to the propagation and growth of mold. And that mold releases these toxins called mycotoxins in order for it to survive. And those mycotoxins damage things in its way. And one of those things is is humans. And then, let me say this too, like a lot of people have the diagnosis of chronic Lyme and Epstein-Barr and West Nile and all these different viruses or bacteria or, you know, parasites, but certainly in the case of chronic Lyme, and I mean, no disrespect to a lot of people who are listening who have been labeled with chronic Lyme It always bothered me that chronic Lyme was a primary problem and somebody would need antibiotics, for example, for two years to deal with chronic Lyme. So what if the scenario was this? You live in mold, you are exposed to the mold mycotoxins that you don't see. You may be able to smell some of the aspects of mold. Again, if your house is musty, that musty smell, those are the VOCs, the volatile organic compounds released from the mold that gets out into the environment, those cause a set of damage. The mycotoxins, again, that are released in order to go after other molds or or bacteria and help it survive, those can also affect us as well. All that stuff affects us in many ways, one of which though is to suppress the immune system. So are you suffering from Lyme because you had a tick bite from 30 years ago, or are your symptoms related to current mold mycotoxicity leading to immune dysfunction and therefore that's causing all your symptoms or it's not allowing you to clear the Lyme spirochete or the Epstein-Barr or the West Nile or whatever kind of you know, thing we want to we put at people. So I think that's kind of that general scope of mold mycotoxicity. I guess in short, I would encourage anyone and everyone to look into mold in their environment understand whatever you're suffering from it could be mold and then again working to find it and remediate it and then all of our natural detox strategies wendy that you and i talk about all the time you know in order to support people uh through that but it's a 21st century crisis mold is mentioned in the book of leviticus in the old testament uh and uh, again it was a problem thousands of years ago it's a problem to humans now and the more we you know Get people to recognize that the uh, more impact we'll make.
0: Can you talk about some of the specifics you had mentioned before when we talked before the podcast? Because I thought that was really, really interesting where you talked about penicillin is essentially a mycotoxin that kills bacteria in our body. Can you talk a little about that concept?
1: No, thank you. And again, I'm trying to give like a little break in the action. So thanks for circling back to that. I don't want to be one of these guys who just uh, comes on and just starts ranting for about 20 minutes on the stream of consciousness. So thank you for for bringing me back into that. No, I I, I mean, again, I love that when people try and Again, how do, how do we grasp what these mycotoxins are? Like, again, if you're not a, a medical doctor or pathologist or haven't studied this, you know, for a while, for the average person, like, what does that mean, mycotoxin? So myco from mold, and of course, toxin is just something that's a, a, a poison, not to the mold, but to, to, you know, to everything else that the mold sends that out against. And it's not personal. It's the mold mycotoxin, want, it's the mold wanting to survive, again, by killing off other molds and other bacteria and it could be insects and it could be birds and ultimately could be humans now the mold is as far as i know not consciously saying i want to kill off a human but again it's trying it, it's a survival mechanism and it doesn't have uh, jaws and teeth and and nails and can't you know run and punch or whatever humans do and other animals do it has to send off these toxins it's a it's a you know again it's a, a fungal toxin Now, the most famous of those, of course, would be the mold mycotoxin released from the penicillium fungus. And that particular toxin was found by Alexander Fleming in a lab to kill off a certain bacteria. And then, of course, that was then, you know, encapsulated and put in IVs. And everybody may know that as penicillin. So penicillin is a mold mycotoxin that comes from the penicillium mold species. So that is one. Another, of course, is something called Celsept. It's a pharmaceutical. has been around for 30 years. Celsept is mycophenolic acid. And mycophenolic acid inside of as Celsept, as a pharmaceutical, is used as an immunosuppressant it is so strong of an immunosuppressant that it is used to prevent organ transplant rejection so if somebody gets a new liver well that liver the 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 new the person who gets the new liver their immune system is primed to attack the new liver so cellcept prevents the attack on the new liver so if cell set mycophenolic acid is so powerful to suppress the immune system against an organ transplant, what do you think it does to your immune system as your immune system's trying to prevent the flu virus or any other virus, including the most famous recent one, or uh, HIV, or Again, West Nile, or again, or bacterial infections or other fungal infections or parasites. The answer is it can't. You're destroying your immune system. Now, again, we destroy our immune system through many different ways. And of course, you talk about this all the time. The toxic metals that destroy the immune system, the environmental toxins, the pesticides, uh, the phthalates, the parabens, the the VOCs, the plastics, uh, the EMF all of these things work to you know the glyphosates, they work to you know destroy our immune system and they do so but in this case again this is just another very ravaging uh thing that they're able to again the pharmaceutical companies know this and they put it in a capsule cyclosporin is another immunosuppressant and these are again used by millions of people in the United States alone, let alone worldwide. So hopefully that gives everybody a a little bit of insight as to how powerful these are. And it's just not conjecture of us saying, oh, well, the latest thing we're going to talk about is mold. Again, the pharmaceutical companies realize this. In fact, they realize the immunosuppressive capabilities of mold mycotoxins Really in the late 1800s uh is, is when they and then again starting nineteen thirties and forties, and now they're building pharmaceuticals based on this. Uh it's it's a problem. And again, all cardiovascular disease is immunomodulated, all gastrointestinal, all brain, it's all regarding immunodysfunction. I mean, what what is cancer? Well, we're all developing these mutant cells, you know, and and mutant strains that happen. And then if the immune system of the body recognizes now this foreign cell that doesn't belong because of its mutation, then the immune system will target it for, for, you know, for killing it and get rid of it. But if your immune system is compromised... Well, then again, you can't fight off cancer and your immune system attacks your brain and your immune system allows for attack on the heart and the organs. And right now we're talking about type one diabetes and we're talking about Hashimoto's thyroiditis and we're talking about Crohn's. And uh, again, like the mold, the mold umbrella, Wendy, I think you'd agree, right? It really helps to explain a lot which I think is, again, good and bad, because, again, it can be a difficult and expensive process to go through. And finally, let me say this, too. I I do want to get this point. Um, When it comes to mold toxicity and symptoms, it's women who are affected four out of five times versus the men. And I I, I don't know this. We can always say, oh, well, it's hormonal and blah, blah, blah. And, And again, that may all be true. But the women they're suffering with brain fog. They're suffering with fatigue. They're suffering with weight gain or weight loss. They're suffering with gastrointestinal issues, skin issues. They're suffering with hair loss. They're suffering uh, uh, low libido. And that's pretty overt. Now, uh, and, and again, a lot of times the women, they can smell the mold, like the musty smell bothers them. They're they're affected around other people who have mold on their clothes and stuff like that in a home and stuff like that. They're overtly sick from it. Um, uh, allergies, I mean, asthma, whatever it may be. Now, the man who's in the room, right, because we're talking about, you know, we're talking to the, you know, we're talking to the couple here and we're talking to the woman about all these issues. And the man sitting next to her. Right. And he's perfectly fine. He's like, there is no such thing as mold. I mean, my wife is crazy. You know, if you ask me, you know, she's having all these symptoms. I feel fine. Now, this is the 55 year old man or the 62 year old man. He's already suffered a heart attack. He's on five you know, blood pressure drugs and cholesterol drugs. And he's got erectile dysfunction. He's got no libido. You know, he's already had a heart attack. He's already developing, you know, an essential tremor, but he's fine. The mold's not bothering him. So it is really just trying to get the understanding into people like, oh, no, uh, we're all getting sick from this. Some people have symptoms. Some people have don't uh, don't. You know, it's kind of like we would go back to, you know, people with issues and eating gluten. And someone's like, I don't have a problem eating gluten. And it's like, you've had a heart attack. Maybe it was from the gluten. Oh, now again, you've had X, Y, Z, maybe it's from mold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mold it's, I mean, it's really difficult to escape mold. I mean, there. I mean, just I live in Mexico. It's very humid here. My house is closed up for two days. It reeks of mold, but it doesn't seem to bother me. But I'm very, very, very healthy. I think some people if they have a robust immune system, their gut is intact. Uh, maybe they're not going to be as susceptible to someone who has complex chronic illness, compromised, you know, immunity, leaky gut, etc.
1: Well, there are. I mean, there, there definitely is a genetic uh, predisposition to. Uh, to mold detoxification issues. And it appears to affect Mm -hmm. about 25% of the population. But again, Wendy, to my point, again, just because we feel good, uh, you know, again, we would need further definitive proof. Like if someone said, okay, listen, I may be living in a moldy environment, but I feel good. And my numbers say that I'm still on track, then 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 i guess i would be okay with that now some people of course when you tell them hey you have brain fog you have all these different issues that we already said it's potentially from the mold a lot of them are willing to say okay you know no further convincing i'm out like i feel so bad i can't do it like again i can't i mean these some of these women they can't even think they cannot even think and again, to get them to escape, you know, that situation is a pretty easy proposition. But I think, you know, again, is mold ubiquitous in our environment? Yes. Is it worse in some places than others? Again, as we're in a a higher humidity area, we are more more likely to be exposed to outdoor molds and indoor molds. But that being said, higher levels of water damage that lead to large amounts of certain molds, uh, again, could be absolutely uh, catastrophic. But You know, again, to the point of, you know, what that means to evacuate a home or to leave a home or to remediate a home. Certainly, you know, you and I would both run into this all the time, right? We're telling people, hey, you got to eat all these foods and you got to get sleep and get sunshine and you got to get away from all the toxins and you got to do yoga and meditation and physical activity. And you got to do all these tests and swallow these supplements and that'll help your blood pressure. And someone's like, wait a second, my other doctor just said, I need a $10 a month prescription of Lisinopril or a diuretic. I'm going to do that. Yeah. And that's what we're up against. But let me say one more thing, Wendy, if I may, about about this, um, as long as I'm thinking about it. I recently did some videos about people with atrial fibrillation, the irregular heart rhythm atrial fibrillation, they have a much higher risk of developing cancer in the future. Now, ultimately, why is that? It's because the same things that lead to AFib lead to cancer. So if you're somebody with atrial fibrillation, and you go for an ablation to burn out the AFib, or you take a pharmaceutical for the AFib, what does that do to your cancer risk? You may, you may burn out your whole heart. That The electrophysiologist, cardiologist may burn all those areas of AFib out of your heart to really simplify. They, they may do that, and they may be successful. But because you didn't get rid of the cause of what led to the AFib, again, violations of eat well, live well, think well, if you don't fix those things, then you're going to develop cancer or brain disease or have a heart attack or whatever it may be, so uh anyways it's it's uh you know again, even as we you know someone's like, "Oh well, my blood pressure is good on on twenty milligrams of this, okay, I'm glad you are happy, but you're still going to get sick and die because you never address the cause, and your number is better, blood pressure number or your cholesterol number is better, or your cancer marker is better, for example, but you never address the cause. And you're not going to live very long. And I'm sorry, that's the truth. But, you know, we also we want to help you.
0: Yeah, there's no shortcuts. There's no shortcut. So you have to enjoy taking care of yourself and get into it and learn about it. Uh, And so what is your take on red meat? So can you eat as much red meat as you want? (laughs) Because I know you're called the paleo cardiologist. And sometimes I I still wonder about that, you know, because I eat a lot of red meat and, you know, uh, the American Heart Association is like, no red meat, you know, because it has cholesterol. Oh, my God. What is your take on that?
1: Yeah, you know, again, I guess, you know, quite simply, I am I am the cardiologist, as referred to be my, you know, by, first of all, I was the caveman cardiologist, but paleo became a little bit more nouveau. I, I like the ring of the caveman cardiologist better, but um, paleo essentially is hunter-gatherer. Our ancestors were hunter-gatherers. All humans and all societies in the history of the earth were hunter-gatherers why, Why are we trying to come up with anything different than that? Why are we talking about veganism and vegetarianism? and why are we talking about Mediterranean and keto and carnivore? Again, when you read the paleontology literature and the anthropology literature, you will see that for three and a half million years, our ancestors have been eating animal products, seafood. And they've been gatherers of fruits and vegetables and nuts and seeds and eggs and avocados and coconuts and olives. So I guess to answer your question as far as like how much red meat is too much, the answer is I really don't know. Uh, you know, again, how much is, you know, is is too much. I could definitely say there's such such as too little, but for the too much part, and again, all this stuff could be objectively measured, right? How do you feel? And how do your most advanced lab tests in the world look? And if they look that good, if your inflammation is low and your oxidative stress is low, again, all these different things that we're doing, your homocysteine's under control and your vitamin D is high and your omega-3 is high, we know very clearly that those are linked to longevity. So when, and I know obviously you professed all your people, we're talking about 100% free range, grass-fed, grass-finished, ethically raised animal products. I do believe that seafood is the healthiest food on the planet. And again, we could talk about, you know, well, is there, is there metals in there? Are there other plastics in there? Again, when you eat the right food of those, the wild salmon, the sardines, the anchovies, clams, oyster, shrimp, lobster, crab, and again, those give you the built-in detox mechanisms to be able to get rid of the, any of the bad, you know, because of the good that you're getting from it. Uh, But again, people with the highest levels of omega-3, lowest risk of everything. So we don't get that from a supplement or a capsule. We get that from eating the seafood. And then again, the organs. So a lot of the conversation, whether it's a liver king or, uh, you know, others, you know, Sean Baker in that space, who talk about, you know, carnivore and eating the organs. I'm a big fan of eating the organs. The liver is the most nutrient-dense thing in in the world. Uh, Heart is is kind of right after that. So we love eating liver, love eating heart, love eating red meat, ethically raised, uh, but I feel there's a good balance of that when, you know, with, you know, with the vegetables, you know, with the fruit, our ancestors, again, as they came from the equator, and they would come out and there would be a, a date tree, or there would be a fig tree, or there would be uh, different vegetables and and again, other fruits that are growing uh, in the wild, we would consume those. So again, hunter gatherer, I hope that I hope that answered your question. Yeah, I agree. It makes sense.
0: It only makes sense that you want to eat the diet. We have been our bodies have been evolving to eat over millions of years. It makes perfect sense. Yeah, and I just it's kind
1: of-
0: yeah, I, I'm very much against some of the some of the doctors are saying oh cure heart disease with the vegan diet and it's just uh, really um, bad information.
1: Well, I know, listen, obviously out of the, you know, thousands and tens of thousands and so on and so forth, you know, who you've touched, uh, you know, right. We've seen so many people who've tried the vegan uh, lifestyle. And again, they, they crashed. They may crash in a month or maybe a year, maybe five years or 10 years. Some people, again, purport to have, uh, have longevity. And again, I think it's a testament to the human body and how the human body, can survive, you know, so much of what we survive, right? You and I talk about toxins all the time. And the fact that we're able to survive in in the onslaught is really a miracle in and of itself and a testament to how amazing, uh, you know, we are. I think a lot of the vegans who achieve some longevity, I think a lot of it really comes down to uh, um, the things they were given by their parent. for example, like their mother, like in utero. So if the mother and the grandmother were eating certain foods, then this vegan now is, Sustaining itself based on these things that it was that it was kind of born with, and those nutrients that it was, that the that the infant was born with, uh, and therefore survives. But you know, again, I think listen, right? It's just it's just common sense, and if you watch shows like Survivor, Naked and Afraid, and Alone and these people are let into the wilderness to survive. The vegans quickly tap out of the show or they quickly start eating meat and seafood because they will die. Because there is no, you know, back in the day, right? There was no trough of oatmeal and there was no bag of walnuts. You had to be a hunter-gatherer. We know this from the explorers, Captain Cook, Magellan. We know this, of course, from the famous dentist, Weston A. Price. In the 1920s, travels all around the world with his with his wife by boat, and they're looking at all these native populations and they're all hunter-gatherers. And he finds extraordinarily uh, you know, good health in those people who are eating their native foods. I know you get this, Wendy, as much as I do. You know, again, well, I thought, you know, again, the caveman, paleo man, they died when they're 30. Why why would they die when they're 30? They're not dying of diabetes, cancer, or brain disease. Uh, they would die when they're 30 or on average, because again, there was maybe, you know, again, a childbirth trauma or childhood trauma, or, you know, they fell off a cliff or they broke a bone and there was no orthopedic surgeon to fix the bone or fix the trauma. And therefore uh, people died. But there is plenty of literature, again, that talks about the longevity of these people. And then maybe to refer back to, I'm not, I'm, I'm no biblical scholar, but if you read the book of Genesis, everybody was living until their 700s and 800s. And I think, um, uh, I think uh, it, was, it was Noah from Noah's Ark fame had his first son. He was 500 years of age. So I don't know. <laughs> go, go figure. Go figure.
0: Well, you're doing a summit now on how to live to 100 years old with, with a healthy heart. Tell us about that and what we can learn on that summit.
1: Yes. Well, thank you again for participating and being one of the experts on the summit. And again, and, uh, the summit's called Your Path to the 100-Year Heart, and we've interviewed about 35 different uh, experts <clears throat> as it related to cardiovascular health. And, and I'll be honest, you know, I was trying to, when I initially concepted the idea of the summit, it was like, okay, how, how can I really find a lot of cardiologists? Let, let's, again, if we're going to do a heart summit, let's go to the ultimate authorities, But as time, you know, kind of went on, as I was concepting this, I realized that there were no healthy examples of cardiologists to the the number of 35, for example, if I want to interview all these people. Sure, I can interview cardiologists and say, hey, let's talk about uh, the best surgical techniques or let's talk about what the best stent is, you know, currently, or let's talk about new ablation technology. I don't want to talk to people about that. People don't want to hear that from, you know, from me. They want to know, okay. What are the natural strategies to live a long time? So what do we do? We gather experts like, you know, Wendy Myers and uh, David Jockers. And uh, um, uh, we interview several chiropractors to talk about how important chiropractic is, you know, for this event. And again, we talk to a lot of MDs and DOs, and we do talk to cardiologists uh, as well. You know, Barbara Roberts, uh, she wrote a book called The Truth About Statin. She's a famous female cardiologist uh, on the the East Coast. Uh, We talk to William Davis, William Davis, who wrote the book, uh, Wheat Belly, a runaway bestseller, you know, book, exposing the problems with wheat. And now, of course, he's got a new book called Super Gut, And Super Gut is all about the gut microbiome as it relates to overall health. Anyways, you know, Bill Davis is a is a retired uh, cardiologist. Thomas Levy, another cardiologist, Mark Houston, who is the uh, director of vascular medicine at Vanderbilt University, widely acclaimed published author. So, again, we've got a fantastic mix of of people in there and i think again we're going to provide so much information and value you know kind of like that subtitle is you know reduce or eliminate pharmaceuticals uh to really give people some actionable steps to be able to do so and uh it's exciting so again i appreciate you being on the summit and everyone who's listening again for signing up totally free totally free you know to get on there listen to all these interviews and uh, hopefully we're going to save millions of people's uh lives and you know, again, listen. There's there's a time and a place for modern uh, medicine, right? There's there's trauma surgeons and there is emergency room doctors, and there's a time and a place when people need open heart cardiac surgery, and I and I and I thank those people who do that uh, on a daily basis. But the reality is, when it comes to prevention, the medical doctors have nothing, and you and I, Wendy, have everything. To be able to offer people, which is really something spectacular, and which is why I went into medicine in the first place was to help people. And when I realized I wasn't helping people, I was, I was just using a band-aid approach. And the hospitals are revolving doors. Someone comes in with a heart attack, we do an angiogram, angioplasty, stent, send them off the door, and a handful of pharmaceuticals. A few months later, they come in with you know side effects of pharmaceuticals, or they have another cardiac event uh heart disease number one killer worldwide despite the fact that we are spending 4 trillion dollars on cardiovascular care it's uh obviously that uh, we've 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 missed the mark tremendously on this one
0: yeah so what's the website people go to to sign up and register for your free event
1: yes and again we'll have you know all this stuff available to your listeners to put in your show notes but it is it's the 100 year heart summit is where they can find that But certainly if they come over to naturalheartdoctor.com and they're on our email list or follow us, if you will, uh, friend us on social media so we can all be friends on this. And again, share, you know, they'll be able to find it there. And again, sharing this with the people in your community because... Yeah, I mean, again, everybody's touched by heart disease. So it's not only going to be people who who have heart disease who listen to this, people who want to prevent or people taking care of loved ones, you know, with cardiovascular issues. And I think ultimately, too, right, is like as we talk about these foundational things that lead to heart health, well, again, these foundational things lead to the 100-year brain and and a a, light, a healthy and vibrant lifestyle, not only, you know, for your heart, but for everything else.
0: Yeah, it's such important information because, you know, like I said, my father died from statins and my grandmother died of a heart attack. And so any one of you guys listening, uh, all of us have been touched in some way by ourselves or our family having heart-related health issues. So it's really, really important, summit that you're doing, to give people alternatives. So they go to their doctor, they just don't get anything. They don't get anything about nutrition, about health, uh, about, you know, natural health, and are just being given just very um, just very short-sighted solutions, uh, temporary solutions to their, their problems. So yeah, I want to get to the underlying root cause. So check out Dr. Wolfson's summit. So thanks so much for coming on, Jack. I, I really appreciate your time coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Wendy. Appreciate you.
0: Yeah, and everyone, thanks so much for tuning into the Myers Detox Podcast. I'm Dr. Wendy Myers, and it's such a, a pleasure and honor every week to for you to be joining me and, and tuning in, taking your precious time. Um, but it's really a pleasure to to you know bring you ex- experts from around the world to help you give you like that one little piece of the puzzle that can help you upgrade your health. So thanks for tuning in.